You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell reflects on the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Linnell also asks his radio audience what lessons have they learned from Dr. King? What inspirations can they get from him? Let's join the conversation. Tonight, I want to take the show in a slightly different direction to ensure we all take the time to acknowledge and honor the late, great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King taught us so much, and I I consider him a virtual mentor of mine. And when I say virtual, uh, you know, a, a virtual mentor is someone who has left a legacy, has left enough for us to continue to learn from to the extent that all you have to do is look for the writings, look for their teachings, And they can provide you the mentorship that you're looking for. And so that's what I mean when I say virtual mentor. So this evening, I want to take some time and hear from the listeners, from you all. What lessons have you learned from Dr. King and how how might you implement them or how have you implemented them? And what inspires you about Dr. King? Um, And then, as you guys know, I always have a perspective. So, you know, later in the show. After we take some callers, I'll share three inspirational lessons that I've taken away from Dr. King. And at the bottom of the hour, I want to explore the question, what if Dr. King didn't share his dream? And I know one of the things that stops many of us from embracing our greatness is fear. And, and, you know, I just want to, you know, ask, what if fear had stopped Dr. King from taking a stand against racial discrimination? Where would we be today? How would things be? And um, and then to take a look at yourselves. Right. What if fear stops you from embracing your greatness 50 years from now? Where will you be or where will the rest of us be? Maybe there's some work that you should be doing that impacts the rest of us. You know, I always say our lives have meaning and uh, the impact that our lives should have on many others. Sometimes I, I don't think that we can quite quantify And so we'll be exploring that question a bit later. If we have some time, also, I'll share my perspective on why your New Year's resolutions and plans may be failing. And so you want to check that one out. But if you know, if we don't have time, we'll get to that one next week. Can always leave that queued up. And so that's what's in store for the evening. Looking forward to it. And there's no other place to be tonight. If you want to start your new year off strong, then listening to inspirational perspective on your radio. And so with that, let's get to the phone lines. I got uh, Will, Brother Will, you're on the air, Inspirational Perspective. Uh, good evening, my brother. Good evening to the VON family. Uh, you Thank know, you, you ask, uh, what have we learned from King and what do we look back and see? Well, I've learned that integration doesn't work very well for black people. And as a result of our integration we have remained in stagnant in place where we were before integration. You ask, uh, you know, uh, something, something to the question of where would we be if fear had stopped King? Well, we're on the bottom now. I mean, bottom is bottom, my brother. And, <laughs> and so, so you, you don't so, feel like so there's been any progress be whatsoever? We, huh? You don't feel like there's been any progress whatsoever? 
you know, let, let me say it like this. Malcolm X say this thing called progress is like a man having a 12, 18-inch uh, dagger in your back, and he pulls it out two inches and calls that progress. Uh, I mean, my brother, we're yeah, on the yeah. bottom. I, I feel and, you on that, but it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. But, but, we, but, but brother, if we look at it honestly mm-hmm. and look at the the aims of Martin Luther King and this integration thing, we got to look at it honestly, get this romantic notion out of our minds and look at the movement and what it did and if it accomplished something that we are satisfied with. If we are satisfied with being on the bottom, being on the bottom rung of society still, after integration, as some would say, we're even further down than we were before. Yeah, so but we got know, to look at that. I, I think that's a yeah, so that's one way of looking at it. I always, I always respect different points of view. But, you know, I have to say, I mean, with globalization uh, basically here and, you know, so many different nationalities and races, not just here in the States, uh, but also across the across the world to say that integration set us back is somewhat of a, a, a misstatement. Because, OK, because uh, you know, okay, that's okay. if you think about it. Right. I uh, OK, mean, brother, brother, let's let's say it like this. If integration is was the vehicle to get us off the bottom that we were on doing uh, before integration. It has not worked because we are still on the bottom, even though we jumped aboard that vehicle. We are still on the bottom rung in this society as we were before we integrated. So integration wasn't really the thing. I see a possible... Uh, we we should we should learn from. I'm not saying yeah, that you, Martin Luther King wasn't sincere and wasn't trying to help us. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. But we got the. This is more. This ain't about Martin Luther King. That's what people have made it. We have that people have made this about the man. Let's get away from that and look at us as a people. Now, if this thing that the man put in order did not elevate us or take us to the place where we want to be or should be. Then we, I mean, I'm not saying and, that he was and, and, and to you, what I have to say, Brother Will, is that it's a journey. And it went, with it being a journey, you can't, you know, just, you know, take a look at where we are right now and say nothing he did was of, of, of any help to us. Nothing he did has provided any progress. I think that's uh, somewhat, um, again, like I said, a misstatement. And we honor him because of the work that he did do, not just to integrate us, but also for what he stood for. So, you know, thanks to Brother Will. And like, like I said, I always respect perspective. And, uh, you know, I knew when we were going to talk about Martin Luther King, it was opening up a, a bag of worms for some of you. Uh, but I'd like to stay on the positive side of it and just recognize who he was and what he brought. So I got another caller, Cecilia. Cecilia, you're on the air. Hi, WVON family, and um, Happy New Year to all, and the new new year of uh, hopefully progress and a future for our people. The other caller had some good points. Uh, however, to stay on the more on the more positive side, uh, Dr. King to me uh, represented progress in education, progress in um, jobs, in terms of our people in the past 
before civil rights, because we got to keep in mind that there are also human rights that are at stake now, but mm-hmm. there's also civil rights. We have both still going twofold for black people, our people. And Dr. King also had visions of economic parity with our other uh, cultural brethren that live in, in this in this United States. And that is where I think other caller meant that we're still on the bottom of economic parity and housing and jobs, but we have been able to progress where our people are able to get educated. That was the biggest problem that we had. You know, we had segregated education, and it was dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not to the best that it could be, it's better than it was back before civil rights. Now, I was kind of young then when they were marching and going, you know, marching on Selma and, you know, Mm -hmm. at the Washington, uh, in Washington and all of that. I was still kind of young, but I was old enough to understand that if it hadn't been for Dr. King and Rosa Parks and Malcolm X, I wouldn't be the person I am today. The person I am today is because of those those individuals and Dr. King in terms of helping others, okay? If you've been educated, if you had any kind of opportunity whatsoever, you have to pay it forward. You have to give it back. I don't care if it's just doing a volunteer work with the Boys and Girls Club in your neighborhood. You don't have to be the leader to do something. But to sit back and watch TV and watch basketball and watch all this other stuff on TV and never go out of your house and help your people is wrong. And I think that that's the kind of thing that Dr. King would advocate today is get up and take some action. Take direct action. Do something. Mm-hmm. Just don't sit there. Like Nike say, just do it. Just That's do it. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. All right. So uh, a different point of view. And, and as you guys know, I respect all your views. And um, she's right. I mean, uh, quite a bit was done for civil rights. And, uh, you know, I, you know, one of the things that Dr. King shared quite often was that he was beseeching the government for uh, economic help to get us out of the situation that we were in. And of course, you know, uh, that has still gone unanswered in many ways or in some ways refused. But, you know, he said it. And I know that's something that is often talked about here at WBON, the importance of, you know, just the, the government and economic resources that it takes to educate and provide the right sorts of guidance to ensure that the African-American community can really get some momentum. You know, it's not something you can necessarily uh, do alone. All right, got another phone call from Ron. Ron, you're on Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Yeah, Mr. Harris, you know, I just want to respond to the call of Will when he was talking about uh, integration. For some reason, he has a mistake in believing that we integrated into society. You know, back then, during the 60s, and the whole civil rights struggle was for African Americans to be fully accepted. And now, what we are finding out now, Mr. Harris, that we have not been. That we are still, still living in segregated communities. It, uh, so the thing is, is that we have not. We're still being discriminated against. So, so for a person to say, well, the whole thing for African Americans to have become 
integrated has really set us back. It's nonsense. It, 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 it really is. It's just really silly. I hear that conversation over over again. But these people romanticize that when African Americans were really, really segregated into the slums that Dr. King fought for, that that was a better life for us. It was not, Mr. Harris. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to make that. But the last thing that I just speak of him when he when he spoke of the moral compass and and, and more than anything else, I think to me. He just had so much credibility. And I will be honest, which very few civil rights leaders, elected officials have, as far as yeah. me. But my personal thing that I, I really feel is that he did have the moral credibility and the character. So just want them to get those comments. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks so much for the call. All right, Ron. Okay. All right. So the phone lines are lighting up. I, I know you said some of you all have perspectives. You know, there are three lessons that I've learned. I'm going to share one and I'm going to take a few more callers and uh, we'll, I'll get through those lessons as we take callers. But, you know, Dr. King was a source of inspiration for me since I was a child. And uh, it was Dr. King, by way of my elementary school teachers, et cetera, who first introduced me to the idea of dreaming and standing steadfast in a dream. And, uh, you know, so what I've always done is just to honor him is to on the weekends or at the time of his birth is to just learn more about his message and more about his work. And so the three lessons that, you know, I've taken away from him is one is personal immortality and then two shadow casting and three is somebodyness. And I'll expound on those in a little bit, but you know, I'm going to jump, jump to the phone lines real quick again. And uh, Mel, you're on the line with Inspirational Perspective, Linnell Harris. Yes, sir. I was just responding to Will, and I, I appreciate Will's comments. And uh, Will sounds like he's been around a while. And as some of us really know, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. King was almost as controversial in life as he was in death. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, we can't take anything away from that. He wasn't He wasn't the end all to be all for every black American, colored American, African American who lived at that time. Oh, yeah. Secondly, we forget the man was only 39 years old. Yeah, he was a young man. He was a young man. Oh, yeah. So he was a prodigal son for many years, Mm -hmm. but he died at a very young age. Yeah. And therefore, can we honestly say, Will, that his work was finished? Mm -hmm. You know, did he get a chance to complete his work at 39 years old? I don't think so. No. You know, uh, and, and thirdly, I believe that he didn't create anything. He didn't make anything. What he did was he gave a voice to the voiceless. Right. He gave inspiration to people who didn't have anything to hope for or to dream for. Okay. And some people can't seem to grasp the the value in that. But it's one thing to be on the bottom rung of society. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to be on the bottom rung of society without any hope of moving ahead. And he gave us that hope. Now, I don't think everything that the man did and said was, you know, necessarily help change the face of anything or change anyone's opinions and ideas. But the fact that he was out there every day pushing the right thing, the right thing to do, people began to eventually understand that, hey, look, we got to change this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what his most important contribution was, was giving a voice to the voiceless. So in, in terms of what Will was saying, I don't know what the alternative would be. Will, I hear guys say all the time, well, King didn't do this and King didn't do that. Well, imagine history without King. 
Right. And that's my comment. And yeah, no, thanks a lot for that, Brother Mel. And King, in history without King, there would be no Barack Obama. And I know some, you know, some of you probably thinking, well, that would be just wonderful. But, you know, there, there's a lot that having a black president brings to us. And, you know, I think Mel said it best. Hope is important. Hope is so important. And I know for me, when I do have a son or a daughter, it's uh, it's now real to say, hey, you can accomplish the highest office uh, in the United States if you want to. I mean, and before before Barack Obama, that wasn't possible. And, uh, you know, again, I, I believe that was a consequence of work that Martin Luther King had dedicated his life to. All right. I got Siddiqui. Siddiqui, how are you, brother? Not bad. Let me just first, I want to clarify uh, something you call something in terms of will. I think you call it misunderstood what Will was talking about in terms of integration. Okay. Uh, the caller was correct that, you know, we were never really integrated because of the fact that it was just a sham perpetrated on us by the, the powers of, of white supremacy. The real problem is that in terms of our desire to be loved by white people, when it was put, integration was put out there, it was like, oh, this is it. White people are going to accept us and love us. And so the critical issue is that, yes, we are living in a quote-unquote segregated situation, but the difference is is that we don't have the institutions that we had uh, with quote-unquote segregation before, our own schools, mm-hmm. our own businesses, our own hospitals. So now that we've, you know, in terms of like even our black colleges are in jeopardy. So we bought into that sham thinking we were going to be assimilated, then it never happened. And so now we're in the condition now where we've got our hands out versus our folks prior to us had actually built some resources for us to, to build upon, and we gave them up in the name of thinking we were going to be integrated. So I think it, it call it misunderstood what Will said. Now, in terms of Dr. King, mm-hmm. he's one of my heroes, and but the bottom line is that, you know, I was down south in school with the civil rights thing and what have you, and the issue at the time was, well, we want to use the same bathroom as white people. The bottom line is that the real issue here is that when Dr. King, who made the statement that he'd come to the realization at the meeting with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm and others, that integration was like running back into a burning building. And he started talking from a nationalist perspective in terms of encouraging black folks to invest their money in black banks. And mm-hmm. uh, he was talking about the Poor People's March. And that led to his whole thing of criticizing the Vietnam War. And ultimately, the powers of be of white supremacy said, He's got to go. And so it was not James Earl Ray. It was the United States government that assassinated Dr. King. And for those who don't know about the trial, in 1999, a civil suit was filed by the King family. And the jury came back and said that essentially it was a conspiracy by the U.S. government. So I encourage your listeners, and I think you're younger, particularly young folks, go Google Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. assassination trial transcripts. And you will find the truth there because black people need to come together all across the country and demand justice in regards to the fact that the real killers of Dr. King are at large. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Thanks for the call, Siddiqui. All right. All right. Yeah. He brings out an interesting point. And one of the things I always say is this information is available to us. One of the great things about the era we live in now with the information age is it's right there. So you can YouTube it. You can Google it and check it out. And it's um, it's quite disheartening when you think about it. But uh, Dr. King was making, I think, quite a bit more momentum 
in an expeditious fashion than what the government wanted to look for. And so he became public enemy number one. And a lot of ways, the same way Nelson Mandela was considered a terrorist for most of his life until I believe just recently, a few years ago here in the United States. So, you know, we have to ask ourselves if, if you have a cause, are you willing to die for that cause? Because if you begin to make movement, that may be what what happens. And one of the reasons why I continue to want to honor Dr. King is, you know, I think that as most of us know, he he had a pretty good indication that, you know, his ensuing death was was coming. Right? But he kept moving forward. And so you have to uh, you have to commend a man uh, who moves forward in the face of an obstacle like that. All right. So. Three lessons that I've taken from Dr. King. Thank you all for the calls. And again, you can keep them coming in with your with your thoughts about Dr. King. But the three lessons that I've taken away, number one, personal immortality. And then, like I said, number two, shadow casting. And I'll talk more about that. And then number three, somebodiness, somebodiness. But for now, let's talk about lesson number one, personal immortality. You know, so Dr. King believed at a young age that as human beings, we can achieve personal immortality. Now, so what does that mean? You know, it doesn't mean that you can cheat death. None of us can. None of us can do that. Um, We all will die. I mean, that's a guarantee. But what it means is that as a human being, we have the potential to live our lives in such a way that our legacies become immortal. And, you know, our beliefs, our dreams, the, the words that we write, the writings that we have in our lives can leave a lasting impact on future generations for thousands of years. And Dr. King achieved this, I believe. And now the question is, will you and I? Because, you know, all of us as human beings have a work that is that is ours that we're charged with. And so what does that work for you? And how do you make that work immortal. And I've shared this before and I'll say it again. There are more songs unsung, books that have gone unwritten, dreams that have not lived been lived out in a cemetery than any other place on earth. And so what will you have to offer the world or will it just die with you? I mean, that's the question. And so you know, the first lesson I'm taking from Dr. King is on personal immortality. Now, lesson number two, shadow casting. All right. So what do I mean by by shadow casting? Dr. King hadn't always been the man we all know and respect. And in his writings, he admits to letting hate creep into his heart as an adolescent. And later, as a young adult, he admitted to a short sketch of skepticism about his faith. Now, Dr. King became the man we all know with help and influence from many other people. And in college, Dr. King read Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau. And if you haven't had the opportunity to read that book, I would say definitely take it on. And he was so moved by Thoreau's deep beliefs and writings that he read he read Civil Disobedience multiple times in the year that it was assigned to him. And Thoreau's life and his book were both catalysts that began to mow King's life work. And so when I say shadow casting, David Henry Thoreau, the work that he did was a shadow that was cast on Dr. King that influenced his work. And so that's what I mean. Shadow casting. Um, Another example is Dr. Mordecai Johnson. And, you know, Dr. Mordecai Johnson was uh, the president of Howard University and he was scheduled to speak 
in Virginia. And Dr. King decided to travel to Virginia to attend this speech. And there he was introduced to the teachings and beliefs of Mahatma Gandhi. And, you know, again, here's another example of shadow casting, not just from Dr. Mordecai Johnson, but also from uh, Mahatma Gandhi. And, you know, the question really becomes, you know, what if Dr. Johnson had chosen a different topic? You know, what if he had decided to speak and teach on something different? What if Dr. King had been too tired or too busy to go? And so he never heard Dr. Mordecai Johnson that day. And what if Mahatma Gandhi hadn't achieved what we discussed in lesson number one, which is personal immortality? And so you can see the domino effect of work that was done by other men, other people, that had the influence on Dr. King's life and the influence that Dr. King's life has had on us that may be helping or casting the shadow on the next leader that will take the reins and gain some forward momentum. And so it's just something to think about. I mean, what if Henry David Thoreau had never gone to prison for what he believed? And then what if he had never written the book, Civil Disobedience? And what if King's College professor had not assigned the books? I mean, there's a lot of what ifs. There's a a whole lot of what ifs that we can go through. And this reminds me of a, a quote from Dr. King about shadow casting. He says, everything that we see is a shadow cast by that which we do not see. And a very profound statement. And so today we can celebrate Dr. King because of the shadows that were cast before him. And we celebrate Dr. King for the shadows that he cast. And so, you know, a question for you to think about is what shadows are you casting? And now for lesson number three, and that was somebodiness. Now, Dr. King often talked about the important role his parents played in his upbringing. And one of the lessons his parents taught him is that that he often refers to in his books and his speeches is the lesson he calls somebodiness. And somebodiness you can define it as a state of self-dignity or worthiness, you know, a state of knowing who you are, a state of confidence, despite what others may think or say. Somebodiness is a deep inner resolve that nobody can convince me that I am not somebody. And that's how Dr. King would basically describe that. And in 1967, Dr. King spoke in Cleveland and provided the following instructions to the audience. And I'll I'll read that to you. He said, the first thing we must do is to develop within ourselves a deep sense of somebodiness. Don't let anybody make you feel that you are nobody, because the minute one feels that way, he is incapable of rising to his full maturity as a person. And one of my favorite King stories and demonstration of somebodiness is in an audio link that you can find on the blog, you know, www.inspirationalperspective.com. If you go to the blog, uh, the three lessons, three inspirational lessons I took away from Dr. King, then you can find the audio there. And it's him talking about somebodiness. And I think you'll find it somewhat inspirational. Now, you know, so the question is, are you embracing the full potential of your somebodiness? And these are, you know, the three inspirational lessons that I've learned from Dr. King. And once again, you know, those lessons are one, personal immortality, two, shadow casting and three, 
somebodiness. So personally, you know, he has been a continual source of inspiration for me and a true source of mentorship. You know, one more thing I want to share about Dr. King. You know, now, you know, since 1986, when Dr. King's birthday was made a federal holiday, many of us, you know, we, we take the time to celebrate his life. And I've said, you know, Dr. King has been a virtual mentor of mine. And I think you know, a hero for uh, quite a few young people and older. In the past week, you know, while I was reading, you know, Why We Can't Wait. And that's a book Dr. King wrote back in 1963. You know, I began thinking about his birthday and. You know, that caused me to ask some what if questions. You know, I, I did the math. As you know, Dr. King was born, in, you know, January 15th, 1929. And I did some quick math and realized that if he had not been killed, he would be 85 years old, you know, this year. And so my initial thoughts about his age, you know, took me to a very creative place. You know, I began to imagine what else Dr. King might have been able to accomplish because his work wasn't done. Right. I mean, his work wasn't done. And I began to wonder, you know, what other lessons had gone untaught due to his early demise? Then a question popped into my mind, you know, and the question was, did Dr. King have any other dreams or aspirations that we didn't have a chance to hear about that? We, we never got the chance to hear. And if so, what were they? Uh, there's that if. And, you know, this caused a series of more provocative questions to queue up in my brain. All right. What if Dr. King had not gotten a chance to voice his dream? You know, and there's a what if. But then again, what if he had thought his dream was too lofty? So we've talked about, you know, OK, you know, maybe his work, uh, you know, I've gotten some callers that disagree, other callers that do agree, you know. But either way, you know, I want you to consider this. What if he had thought his dreams were too lofty? What if a friend of Dr. King, and I think some of you all can, you know, are, you know, know about this. What if a friend heard his dream? You know, he was voicing it out, you know, kind of articulating what had been on his mind, told him that the dream was impossible to achieve and that he should never repeat his dream to anyone again. You know, what if that had been done? What if he listened to the misguided friend? You know, what if Dr. King gave fear all of his power and let his dream become nothing more than a passing idea? You know, what if Dr. King wanted to wait until he was 40? And as you know, he was assassinated when he was 39. But what if he wanted to wait until he was 40 to deliver a monumental speech in Washington, D.C.? What if Dr. King believed in his dream but didn't believe in himself? You know, expand your thinking. And I want you to think about yourselves and, and the fear that you may have, you know, what if you don't do what it is that you know you should do? You know, what if Dr. King thought he was too short or he thought he was too dark or maybe he thought he was too religious or he thought, you know, too whatever that he could not do this work? And what if he was too afraid to lift his voice because he knew he was standing against the establishment? He knew he was standing against power and he knew that if he said let freedom ring from every mountaintop, they would kill him. You know, what if? And so, I mean, this caused me to pause and think and ask myself that question, you know, and the question I came up with, am I delivering, voicing and doing the work of my dreams? And what about you? Because it's real easy for people to sit on the sidelines and criticize. And a lot of times that is what gets in the way of us being able to deliver what it is that we know we should. 
So are you delivering, doing, and voicing the work of your dreams? And if we don't, then what do we lose? If you don't, what does the world lose if you don't do your work? If Dr. King hadn't delivered, voiced, and worked his dream, you know, our world would be very different, okay? It would. And so, you, you know, you may or may not agree, but what I would say is that we can't afford the consequences of inaction and mediocrity. You know, it's one thing to have an opinion, but I say, hey, act on it. Let's do something. I think one of the callers earlier said you, what we need is action. And so what actions are you taking? And so these what if questions that I've asked this evening, you know, they always create a sense of courage, urgency and inspiration for me. They do. They open up my mind to the possibility. And I hope they create a sense of courage, urgency and inspiration in you this evening, because, you know, almost every week and there's a quote I share almost every week. And that quote is the most common way. People give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. That's by Alice Walker. So, you know, Dr. King taught us by his example that one voice can change a city. One voice can change a state. One voice can change a country. And definitely one voice can change the world. You know, so the question is, what is your dream tonight? And where is your voice? It just takes one person to stand up. All right. I got some callers. I got a. Leonard, you're on the line with Linnell Harris and Inspirational Perspective. Good evening, Linnell. Good evening. Harris? How are you? Pretty fair. How about yourself? I'm well. I'm well. Okay. Under normal circumstances, I wouldn't call, but I normally don't call anybody's show but Celine Marquez, based on perspective and understanding. Uh-huh. But in listening to you over the last several weeks, um, you have a very strong mind, too, brother. And you posed a question that I have to respond to. Okay. Because I not only have an understanding, I was living it mm-hmm. during that period. I'm a FOI in the Nation of Islam. I'm 70 years old. Okay. I'm an original FOI. And um, I was in California. I stood up on the West Coast. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Well, I'm from Cook County. Born in the South Suburbs. I'm a, I'm a suburbanite. Okay. And, um, but I went to the West Coast, and there's where I was given the truth of Master Elijah Muhammad and became an FOI standing up in Long Beach, California, during the period that King was pushing the Civil Rights Movement. Okay. And um, all of the individuals, Stokely Carmichael, Huey Newton, H. Rap Brown, all of those individuals during that period that were a part of the so-called Black Power Movement Mm -hmm. were students of Master Elijah Muhammad. This is never discussed. But the point I'm driving at is the Black Power Movement literally killed King's movement, and he had lost his ability to manipulate the media. Okay. His, his move to the, south, to the uh, garbage strike down, uh, in, uh, down south was an effort to try and rekindle some interest in his movement, and um, there were three things that got King assassinated. Okay. The effort to make that rekindling during his travels, he came through California. He was in L.A. on his way down south, and the cameras were put on him, and the statement, the question was put to him. Now, Dr. King, it seems as though the interest in your civil rights movement is waning within your own community. What are your assessments now? And this is a statement that got him in real trouble. He said, ultimately, he said, maybe my assessments have been wrong in the past. Maybe the only true answer for black people in this country will be blood in the streets. 
during that period of time in the 60s and 70s, the one thing you did not do is threaten violence against the dominant community. Mm-hmm. It would get you in real trouble. The second thing was his been on the war in Vietnam. Up until the time he was at this point in his life, he had not said any, had not spoken out against the war in Vietnam. Okay. When he did that, coupled with the fact that he had made that statement in California, everybody said that his life was being threatened. The third thing was because of those two instances, the problems that were wanting were, were, were troubling Malcolm X and Dr. King. Malcolm X told Dr. King. And there are those that know that he said we're both dead men based on the, the missteps that we've made. And that he was a better off a dead martyr than for his interest to be totally died out. Mm-hmm. So for those three reasons, brother, he was uh, put, under, put under six feet. I got it. Hey, Brother Leonard, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. That's, that's, that's perspective that I did not have. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right. Okay. All right. I got Cliff. Cliff, uh, you got to be quick. Closing the show. Hey, what's going on? Um, You asked the question, your what if question. I'll try to, you know, be as brief as possible. But Mm -hmm. your what if questions and how they rely, I guess how they, I don't want to say relate, but how they lie into what you're talking about tonight and just the possibilities. And that's what it is. I mean, of course, it seems that simple. But this is what I think, and I don't want to say anything, but this is what I think scares callers. And it scares me when I kind of confront this each time I confront it. It's right. always that what if and that possibility, and you go and you and your dream or whatever it is you do, but you go to that you probably dreamed this your whole life, and you finally see it in front of you. Excuse right. the expression, but it can scare the heck out of people. Oh, yeah. You know, and I've seen people come close to their actual dream, say if they wanted to be a basketball player. Mm-hmm. They get out of that court the first time, that situation gets puts fear right in you. But the oh, yeah. teacher told me something. And th- and this is what changed it for me, man, when I was young. He said, if you're not scared, you're not alive. That's right. Because that, that fear is natural. Mm-hmm. So in order to conquer that fear, like you said, that what if, and you ask all these questions, because I used to get scared of things like that. But once I started going to the what if, and just asking the possibilities and envisioning things, I said, wait a minute. I'm scared, but it's already there. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's what especially, I don't want to say it this way, but especially our older community, I love the revolutionary stuff, but it has changed. And we've got to not only follow that change, but ask those questions of what is, what is this? What is this now? What is the blah, 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 blah. Right, and right. So that we can have those different perspectives, and it's just not one sole perspective anymore. There's right. that kind of, I won't say congregation, but a sort of conglomerate of perspectives to where Absolutely. you can take this piece of, you can take this piece of fruit, Put it over here. You take this piece of food and put it over here. You got all this knowledge that makes the great salad. Mm-hmm. So that's a great question you asked about the what if and the possibilities. And I'm going to be honest with you. It just scares a lot of people, and a lot of people don't want to admit to that fear. And until they admit to that fear, you can't even get past it. That's true. Brother Cliff. So, so yep. King, King, King had, a, I'm sure he had huge fears. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, but yeah. he faced them, and he walked through them. And that, my friends, is the bottom line, regardless of what you think of delayed or whatever. If you don't face that fear for exactly what it is, it's going to always consume you. Brother Cliff, thank you, man. Well said. Very right, well Chief. said. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Great show. And you know, a possibility, possibility is endless. 
This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.